Thanks, Steve. And uh, good morning to all of you in Zoomland, um, my family of Wellspring. And uh, good to see all of your faces as well as your names and your logos. So it's kind of cool taking a look at that. So, hi, my name is Larry, and I'll be sharing the message today. And um, I'll be continuing with our series from the Cruciform. And I'll be supplementing TJ's Christus Victor and Pastor Rebecca's Descent into Hell. And the topic today would be the, the motif of substitution as seen in the integration of the previous messages. However, focusing on the death of Jesus on the cross is God in three persons acting together with one will for one purpose to deliver all humanity. And let me repeat that. To deliver all humanity, you and I, from the curse of sin. So this morning, if you will join me, um, I was going to say that, <laughs> take a look at your bulletins, but uh, you can turn on your iPhone Bibles, on Bible Gateway, or your regular Bibles. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 3 and verses 21 through 26. And um, Paul turns to the point of his letter to the Christians in Rome. The law can never justify us, but Paul reveals that there is a way to be declared righteous in the eyes of God apart from the law. It is available through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So now hear the word of God. But now apart from the law of righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness, righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith and altogether in Jesus. Romans 3, 21-26 Blessed be the words of the scripture. And so this morning, let me start with this. How many of you love The Hunger Games? Okay. I haven't watched it, but anyway, I saw previews of it. The universal appeal of the notion of substitution. Yes, that word substitution is illustrated by the immense popularity of the book and movie series The Hunger Games. When a very young girl is chosen by Lot to fight for death, her big sister steps forward and volunteers to take her place. It is the simplest and most recognizable plot element imaginable. Who can fail to understand it? And this comes from the author, the cruciform, Fleming Rutledge. Let me define substitution this morning. It is indeed a theological term for the belief that Christ's death is in our place and it derives from the interpretation of the New Testament teaching on Christ's death and human sin and applied in a variety of a motif of the substitution theories, but for important views of Christ's death is a substitution, is a substitution that pays the price for human sin. 
And according to our Swedish covenant doctrine on substitution, uh, the covenant doctrine states that Jesus' ministry was not a message of punishment and wrath. Rather, his message was one of friendship and love. If we are to understand God's atoning work with the priestly office of Christ, it radically shifts the understanding of the cross as punishment to an understanding of the cross as a gift to the sinners that show God's love for us in spite of it. So this morning, let me draw the background from the Old Testament. And so those of you who have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3, 21. And it was the, the first major theme of the Bible. God instituted the principle of substitution. Yes, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, by killing an animal to cover their nakedness. This is Genesis 3.21. God began to paint a picture of what it would take to bring humanity back into the proper relationship with Him. He continued that theme with His chosen people, Israel. By giving them the law, the Torah, God showed them His holiness and demonstrated their inability to achieve that holiness. God then granted them a substitute to pay the price for their sin. Yes, in the form of blood sacrifices. And you can look that up in Exodus 29, verses 41 to 42, Exodus 34, 19, and Numbers 29, 2. So the Old Testament has a lot of those scriptures and the blood sacrifices. But what does this mean? By sacrificing an innocent animal according to God's specifications, Human beings could have their sins forgiven and enter the presence of God. The animal died in the sinner's place, thereby allowing the sinner to go free. But get this, I like Leviticus chapter 16, like I told my wife, like I read it every day. But I get into Leviticus today, 16, the whole chapter. It talks about the scapegoat upon which the elders of Israel would place their hands symbolically transferring the sins of the people onto a goat. A goat, excuse me. The goat was then set free into the wilderness, bearing the sins of people far away. Um, the goat was called, in Hebrew, Azazel, and is mentioned in 16. So the priest brought the animals before the Lord. He brought, he brought two goats and a ram. And then one of the goats had to be a sacrifice, and the other had to be a scapegoat. The first goat was slaughtered for the sins of the people and its blood to cleanse the most holy place, the tent of the meeting and the altar. After the cleansing, the live goat was brought to the high priest. Laying his hands on the scapegoat, the high priest was to confess over it all the wickedness, all the rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness into the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat, get this gang, the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it into the wilderness. So symbolically, the scapegoat took on the sins of the Israelite and removed them. And for Christians, for all of us and those who continue to, who believe, this is a foreshadowing of Christ. So let me reiterate the theme of substitution is found throughout the Old Testament as a precursor to the coming of Jesus Christ. The Passover test 
I mean, Feast conspicuously featured a substitute in Exodus 12. God gives instruction to his people, and um, the people for that was to prepare for the coming destroyer who would strike down the firstborn male of every family as a judgment upon Egypt. The only way to escape was the plague was to take the perfect male lamb, kill it, and put the blood on the lintels or the doorposts of their house. And God specifically told them, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. It comes from Exodus 12, verses 13. That Passover lamb was a substitute for every male firstborn who would accept it. I know you're sitting there right now, and I, I too... I'm asking this question. I mean, not question, but going over the statement. I've heard the primary reasons why substitution is important, clearly listed in the Old Testament. But then, God had a plan to bring fallen mankind back to himself. So, what does the New Testament now say about the motif of substitution? And then, um, I missed earlier, um, Pastor Rebecca is going to bring up that... Um, the point of our first point this morning, uh, SOS. And then you can write down in SOS on, on the PowerPoint. Um, I don't know if I have it on the PowerPoint. Okay. But you can write down the first S is soul. S-O-U-L. And I'm not going to sing like the soul man, but it's soul. And then the second word is of and of salvation. And I saw this in a really neat quote from Charles Spurgeon, who was a theologian back in the 1800s. And his take on substitution is the very marrow. Substitution is the very marrow of the whole Bible. It's the soul of salvation, the essence of the gospel. We ought to saturate all our sermons with it, for it is the lifeblood of gospel ministry. So this morning, we're going to also go on the part of is what is the total meaning of substitution? I, I started with the Old Testament, and now I'm getting into the New Testament. So the Bible teaches that we consist of body, soul, and spirit. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Jesus, our substitute, not only shows us how human will align itself with the will of God, but also makes it happen in his own incarnate person. So in the greatest act of love that has ever taken place, he gave his own person back to us, crucified and then raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who belong to him. So in Colossians 3, 1 and 4, together, if you can, you, you can see it in your notes, do I have it in notes? Okay. Accentuated by God's promise. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we've heard the Old Testament, and now we're going to go focus in clearly on the New Testament. 
So the New Testament says about the motif of substitution is that you can fill in blank number two. Because of the exchange Christ has made with us, we now participate in, yes, righteousness. We now participate in righteousness. And there's a really cool verse that accentuates this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become altogether the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. And I had to ask this question, and I'm sure you're thinking about it, and some of you do know the definition, but this is good. Let's consider it together on Zoom. Righteousness is the quality of state of being morally correct and justifiable. It can be considered synonymous with rightness or being upright. And Jesus had to come and make a way through the law in which through him we are made righteous. And there is nothing Nothing we can add to it. Thank you, God. Most amazing God for your mercy, your grace, your love, and your kindness toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God carries the theme of substitution into the New Testament. With the coming of Jesus, he set the stage so that mankind would understand exactly what Jesus came to do. And if you have your Bibles again, or your iPhones, uh, go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 clearly says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's a second verse that accentuates this. God's perfect lamb took the sins of the world upon himself, laid down his life, and died in our place. 1 John 1.29 and 1 Peter 3.18. So the only acceptable sacrifice for sin is it has to be a perfect offering. If we died for our own sins, think about this. If we died for our own sins, it would not be sufficient payment. We are not perfect. Only Jesus, the perfect God-man, fits the requirement. And he laid down his life for ours willingly. John chapter 10 verse 18. 1 John chapter 10, verse 18. And again, there was nothing we could do to save ourselves, so God did it for us. The Messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53 makes the substitutionary death of Christ abundantly clear. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Verse 5. So, in a nutshell, I'm asking all of us today as we participate in this Zoom service, how does this substitution motif apply to us in our everyday lives? Let me again go back to substitution says that Jesus becomes the soul of our salvation and in, the in exchange, we have righteousness. And I don't want to take this lightly and would like to propose the following for our maturity in Christ. There's four practical benefits of the substitution of Jesus taking our place on the cross. Here's a quote that I found that can be challenging. 
All of us here, we live in a world where outward conformity to religion is sometimes substituted for the genuine work of the Holy Spirit. We live in a world where outward conformity to religion is sometimes substituted for the genuine work of the Holy Spirit. So, substitution dependence on man or woman, but I'm reminded to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We should depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 tells us very clearly, but when the Father sends the Comforter instead of me, and by the Comforter I mean the Holy Spirit, He will teach you much as well as remind you of everything I myself have told you. That's number one. Substitution includes depending on the Holy Spirit for a practical viewpoint. Number two, substitute self-love with God's love. How many of you, and this is your exercise, know the Christian author Max Lucado or have read his books? Raise your hand. Okay. okay. Some of you did, are very familiar. Here's a story about him when he was going to get a heart surgery. As, and this is Max Lucado's words. As I was being wheeled into surgery, the doctor asked if I had any final questions. Not the best choice of words, and I tried to be witty. Doc, you're burning the interior of my heart, right? Correct, says the doctor. You intend to kill the misbehaving cells? Yes, that is my plan, says the doctor. As long as you're in there, Doc, could you take your little blowtorch to some of my greed, some of my selfishness, my superiority, and guilt? The doctor smiled and answered, Sorry, that's out of my pay grade. So, you can let the Bible be your doctor let the, through the Holy Spirit. So, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And some of you who have memorized this in Sunday school and keep saying it to your children or, or practice it in work, this is the best way you can practice it in work. It begins with this. If I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them and could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. So let's jump to verse 4 of 1 Corinthians, and I want you to substitute your name in this. And I will use mine as an example. Larry is very patient and kind. This is what I'm striving for. Okay, so this is what we're striving for. Never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Larry does not demand his own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. I'm reading from the New Testament, uh, Living Bible. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you'll be loyal to him or her, no matter what the cost. You'll always believe in him or her, always the, expect the best of him or her, and always stand your ground in defending him. I substituted the word love with my name. I challenge you, put your name this morning in that 1 Corinthians chapter and see how that world work out for the weak. Because if God is a righteous God, then we as his people should pursue his righteousness. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. 
And it comes from Paul challenging Timothy in chapter 6, verse 11. So that's the second point, was substituting love with your name. Okay, number three, I want you to, I love acronyms. Substitute just focusing on daily business 24-7 with TTT or T-cubed BWG. TTT, T-cubed BWG. Take time to be with God. Take time to be with God. And one of your prayers, and this is one I really want to strive for, comes from Psalms 42.1. As the deer pants for water, so I long for you, O God. TTT, BWG, take time to be with God. Psalms 51, 2 and 4, verses 2 4, has a really neat verse to prepare your heart and your attitude. And this is the context of David when he committed the act of adultery with Bathsheba. And coming back, he was so remorseful. He said, David says, and, and we too, when we commit a sin or we commit an act that we are so regretful, may it be like David's quote from Psalm 51. Oh, wash me, cleanse me from this guilt. Let me be pure again, for I admit my shameful deed. It haunts me day and night. It is against you and you alone I sinned and did this terrible thing. You saw it all and your sentence is against me, but it's just. So, TTT, BWG, spend time with, take time to be with God. Number four, you know, during this pandemic, sometimes it's so easy to focus on yourself and not on others. And I'm truly guilty of that because, oh, I don't want to catch that or I just want to do that. I just want to be by myself. And I get into this attitude of being an isolationist or a recluse. So I began to see this, that I had to get out of myself by serving others rather than serving yourself. And um, I found a really cool story. It's called A Glass of Milk. And those of you, maybe when you were younger or you read it to your kids, the story goes, no good deed goes unrewarded. There was once a poor boy who spent his days going door to door selling newspapers to pay for school. One day, as he was walking his route, he started feeling low and weak. The poor boy was starving, so he decided to ask for food when he came to the next door. Knock, knock. The poor boy asked for food but was denied every time until he reached this door of a girl. Knock, knock. The girl answered the door. I want a glass of water. But the girl seeing his poor state, the girl came back with a glass of milk. The boy asked how much he owed her for the milk, but she refused payment. Years later, the girl who is now a grown woman felt sick. She went from doctor to doctor, but no one was able to cure her. Finally, she went to the best doctor in town. The doctor spent months treating her until she was finally cured. Despite her happiness, she was afraid she couldn't afford to pay the bill. But when the hospital handed her the bill, it read, Paid in full with a glass of milk. That's so cool. Start serving others and you take the focus off yourself. But there's... A lot of us, including me, that have substituted other stuffs in your life for the gospel of Christ or for Jesus Christ. Some people make the mistake of thinking that since Jesus died for our sins of the world, everyone will go to heaven one day. This is incorrect. The substitutionary death of Christ must be personally applied to each heart in 
much the way that the blood of the Passover had to be personally applied to the door. Before we become the righteousness of God in Him, we must exchange our old sin nature for His Holy One. God offers the substitute, but we must receive that substitute personally by accepting Christ in faith from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Um, join me together for those of you who want to pray this prayer right now, bow our heads and quiet our hearts. And let's pray together to ask Jesus to not only come into our hearts, but to recommit. So, Lord Jesus, we recognize that we've been doing a lot of stuffs on our own and substituting you for the things of this world, whatever it is. We confess our sins and we ask you to come back and have fellowship with us. And for those who don't know you, let them open up their hearts to you and say, come in. And we know that your substitution on that cross forgave us of our sins, brought us back to you, and gave us eternal life. For this we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. So while we find comfort in the familiarity of those we depend on life, we still have to recognize that at times they can be substituted. But the one we need the most, the one on whom we depend for life itself, is always present in Psalms 139, 7-8. When we desire to enter God's presence in prayer, He's always there, evening and morning, evening and morning, and noon, I will pray and cry out loud, and He shall hear my voice. Psalms 55, 17. Are you looking for God this morning? He's always there. No substitute needed. Let's pray and give thanks. Oh God, thank you for taking, our, taking the place for us on the cross that we may receive eternal life. But here as a group, help us not to take it lightly, but to help those words press into our hearts to be mature so that we can understand and live in righteousness and live with you to help others here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people say, Amen. Thank you, and have a nice day in Zoomland.